0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson.
2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning
0: in to AOK Today. There's a lot happening in the world of agriculture. We're going to cover some of those aspects today. We're going to be talking policy with Josh Takey. Policy editor at Farm Progress here in just a moment. Get an update on some of the recent legislation introduced on Capitol Hill. Before segment two, we're going to talk about a vote that happened yesterday on Capitol Hill, a vote potentially drawing some battle lines around ESG investing. Talk about how that vote went in Congress in segment two. Before we get to segment three, Tanner Emke, the dairy economist from Cobank, will be joining the show. That dairy industry continues to see volatility. Prices have recently backed off. Tanner's going to give us his take on how things look as we gear. Up for this summer, maybe that ice cream consumption will do that market a little bit of good. Before the end of the show, we're going to talk with our friend Jacob Burks of AgMarket.net, get an update on the volatility of these markets. Before we do all of that, however, it is time to talk with Josh Batekey. Earlier this week, we saw the Dairy Pride Act be introduced in Congress. We talked about that briefly with Alan Bjorga earlier this week from the National Milk Producers Federation. But now we've got the text. Josh, fill us in. What are these senators looking to do under the Dairy? pride act
3: well basically what they're what they're looking to do here is uh force the fda to uh limit the definition of uh dairy-based terms like milk and cheese and yogurt uh to allow only products made from uh made from dairy to use those terms so uh last week fda sent out some new guidance and in it 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 uh recommended that plant-based producers of things like soy milk and almond milk uh, put a label on their, on their products saying something to the effect of, you know, may not contain as much calcium or certain vitamins as dairy milk, but it allowed them to use the term milk uh, in their products. And uh, dairy producers are obviously uh, not satisfied with uh, this result. So this past week, a, group of, a bipartisan group of four senators, uh, they introduced this act known as the uh, Dairy Pride Act. That's a, a kind of a cumbersome acronym for the Defending against imitations and replacements of yogurt milk and cheese to promote regular intake of dairy every day act mouthful there and uh, what it would do is it would force the uh, fda to uh, limit terms like milk cheese and yogurt to just uh just dairy-based products.
0: Okay, and you mentioned four senators have brought this. It is bipartisan. I think it's an equal number of Republicans and Democrats, but Josh, as I was glancing, it all seems like they are from big dairy-producing states. Are there any non-dairy senators who have gotten active on this legislation as of yet?
3: Uh, now, yet we we have some co-sponsors on here, but they all obviously have states from dairy interests, you know. And then you know the other thing to consider on this is that the uh, you know some of the plant-based producers were also not uh, satisfied with the FDA uh, regulations last week because they think it would make their products sound inferior. Uh, so obviously, you know, these senators have to weigh uh, interest from both sides. If you know you have uh, both kind of producers in their states.
0: They certainly do. So in the absence of this bill passing, as it stands now, that FDA guidance on milk labeling is is expected to be the law of the land. Josh, is that right?
3: That that's the case. I think right now there's a you know 60 day uh, review period, and uh, you know the FDA has not released uh, its guidance on yogurt or cheese. That's to be expected later in the year. I don't have a more specific time than that. Uh, but it sounds like you know with the Dairy Pride Act, they're looking to get ahead and address all three of those at one time.
0: All right. So we don't have much support elsewhere in the Senate as of yet. It is a very new piece of legislation. Josh, have we heard much from commodity groups? Are they behind uh, the Dairy Pride Act so far?
3: You know the uh, obviously all the you know national national milk producers federations, a lot of the local uh, dairy dairy farmers associations, they are all uh, lining up behind this. Um, this this a similar bill was introduced by uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin, Wisconsin, uh, back in 2021. It never made it out of committee, so uh, kind of remains to be seen if this one has a better chance this time.
0: All right. Well, maybe with those FDA guidelines now on folks' minds, it might have a little more traction in Congress that remains to be seen. But Josh, we've also got congressional ag folks sitting in getting those hearings started on this next farm bill. I understand we had at least one this week in the House. What's under discussion this early in the farm bill process at these hearings?
3: You know, the the, uh, the hearing they had on Tuesday in the House was uh, titled The Uncertainty in Inf- uh- Uncertainty, inflation, and regulations were the three topics they wanted to address. Um, You had representatives from, uh, you know, Zuppi Duvall from the American Farm Bureau Federation. Uh, You had people from uh, representatives of agriculture agricultural transportation coalition the fertilizer institute uh t- a total of six uh you know testifying before congress um a, l- a lot of the discussion there was was you know about government regulations and uh, things that uh, you know from from their standpoint are uh, are harming farmers uh you know chairman thompson the the, the new the new uh, chair of the ag committee uh he you know had some harsh words for uh, regulations blaming the biden administration for uh you know exacerbating the situations you know already you know caused by you know inflation and and other geopolitical issues. So there were a lot of issues raised, uh, no solutions yet, obviously, but we're we're still kind of at the beginning of this process.
0: Yeah, still at the very, very beginning of this process. Josh, last week, of course, we had the Ag Outlook Forum in Washington, D.C. and Secretary Vilsack spoke, he brought up the Mexican corn import issue. Can can you bring us up to speed on, on what Secretary Vilsack was talking about with regard to that Mexican corn issue?
3: Yeah um well basically you know this is for going on you know 2 plus years i believe uh you know the under the terms of the uh Mexico United States Mexico Canada agreement um United States sees, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, you know Mexican president said he was going to ban the import of genetically modified yellow corn, which uh, you know, the United States constantly uh, contended is against the terms of that agreement. Uh, there's been negotiations behind the scenes. I think that most, most recently, uh, the Biden administration gave Mexico a uh, February 14th deadline to come up with a scientific justification for their position. Uh, instead, the uh, Mexican government came back uh, with a new government decree basically saying they would allow it uh the corn bio genetically modified corn for uh, animal feed but not for uh, human consumption which again uh the united states still condense is is against the terms of the agreement so what it sounds like is uh, they're beginning the process there's a process to formally uh, create a create a kind of an arbitration committee within the agreement that would determine uh, who is on the right here. And uh, while not saying it directly, uh, Secretary Vilsack strongly hinted that 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 process is beginning and we can soon uh, expect a formal complaint from the United States in the next couple of months.
0: All right. Well, we will finally start to see the rubber meet the road on that back and forth with the Mexicans on the GMO corn import issue. Josh, as you think about the political legislative regulatory calendar coming up, what are some issues you're keeping an eye on here over the next couple of weeks?
3: Uh, you know, we, we continue to talk about the uh, the Woda spill, the you know, the the Waters of the United States uh, uh, ruling from the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, that anybody's guess there's been uh, some talk that may be coming up soon uh we'll 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 see but that's obviously on everyone's mind i think that the house just passed uh house committee uh passed the resolution uh trying to get that overturned that probably doesn't have to have a chance to to actually make it to the president and get signed because probably be vetoed and they don't have enough votes to overrule that. But again, you know, I think there's 20-something states now have lawsuits against this rule. So that's that's one that seems uh, that, that's going to have a big impact once that's resolved.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. We've been watching WOTUS since 2008. Hopefully later on this year, we'll get some certainty around that issue. Folks, we've been talking today with Josh Bakey. He's the policy editor with Farm Progress. And Josh, as always, thank you so much for your insight. Keep an eye on what's happening there in D.C.
3: Will do, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we'll talk about another vote yesterday in Congress about environmental, sustainable, and governance issues and investing. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelloboard booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF-1000 steel-belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar, and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelloboard Booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg Booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando.
4: What a great organization. Helping families in need like ours, it's a
5: godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury,
0: illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone
5: you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today.
4: Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake.
0: We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat
4: corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals.
0: For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Ladies and Jeff. AOA continues today,
0: and I wanted to take a look at this next segment at an issue that's been under discussion for the past couple of years, and it continues to percolate and heat up every so often. And the overriding issue is ESG, Environmental Sustainability and Governance Goals as an Investing Model. So the idea is investors around the world have been looking at ways they can put their money to help the world. And so they came up with this concept of ESG ranking companies based on these different factors. And they go. For the environment, are they uh, are they very sustainable? And um, uh, you know uh, how do these things work? And then they're given rankings. And so of course, if you're more sustainable, you're ranked more highly. And fund managers have been looking for ways to use these rankings to allocate their investments. And earlier this year, late in 2022, the Department of Labor issued a rule that would allow fund managers to rank ESG as a m- a way to invest. So the idea being the Department of Labor would basically allow these pension funds to put their fiduciary responsibility in the back burner in order to look for more long-term goals by investing in these uh, ESG-based companies. Now that has Republican legislators very concerned. They're perhaps worried that these fund managers will throw their fiduciary responsibility out the window. And pour all their money into ESG-related things that may not have the best return for their pension investors. So the Republican Congress folks have uh, have put together a rule, I should say, a resolution voting to overturn this Department of Labor rule. Now, the U.S. House voted on this earlier this week, and it did pass yesterday. This was voted 50 to 46 out of the Senate. So we've got Passage in the House. We've got passage in the Senate. The next step for this resolution would be a signature by Joe Biden, which would, of course, give it the force of law. However, it is not widely expected that Joe Biden will sign this. He is on board, or this administration has been on board promoting these ESG goals. They recognize and promote the fact that this is a way for investors to make their bets on the future. They want to make sure that they have the ability to use these tools in their rankings. Will see if Joe Biden does indeed veto this. It will be headed to his desk uh, here this week, whether or not it will get right to the signing slash veto stage remain to be seen. But uh, this rule, which would cover investment plans totaling $12 trillion of investable money held on behalf of about 150 different million Americans, but half the country would be impacted by this Department of Labor rule. House and Senate both voted to uh, overturn it president joe biden likely to veto that as we go forward it is worth noting that while i believe every republican quick run through of the vote here every republican voted to repeal this and on the senate side also had democrats joe manchin of west virginia and john tester of montana both were on board with overturning this department of of labor resolution and uh we'll see how that goes. It is worth noting that four senators actually didn't vote on this resolution. Mike Crapo, a Republican of Idaho, Dianne Feinstein, Democrat of California, Jeff Merkley, Democrat from Oregon, and John Fetterman, a Democrat of Pennsylvania. Those four uh, did not vote, which is why the vote total was 50 to 46 and come out to that true 100 senators like you'd expect in a Senate vote. So that's issue number one percolating in Washington, D.C., but we've got another issue percolating, and this came to light uh, earlier this week on February 28th, which was Tuesday the USDA unveiled a report from their Racial and Gender Equity Commission. Uh, This was a study they had put together looking at USDA's actions, particularly towards Black, Native American, Hispanic, and other minority farmers. Uh, Those groups have long accused USDA of discriminatory actions. President Joe Biden, uh, uh, when he took office, he commissioned USDA to look back at their actions and formed a 15-member commission. Specifically looking at equity, the I, and um, he said we want a systemic change. Uh, that was according to USDA Deputy Secretary Jewel Brana. He said we need to look at this report and quote: "This has to look different from what we've done before." Unquote. Uh, the idea, uh, what this report ended up finding. Uh, was that the USDA has discriminated uh, against uh, farmers of color. In fact, they note that historical discrimination in the USDA lending programs contributed to black farmers losing $326 billion worth of land in the 20th century alone. So now, USDA has released that report. There are now calls to try and fix this. How do you address past racial behavior? Well, the Biden administration has come out and they've got some payments. That's what USDA is is going to do. This is a continuation of a program that was started during the Inflation Reduction Act. The bill passed this past summer. And what the USDA has is $2.2 billion of IRA funds. And this is slated to go to farmers who have experienced discrimination in USDA lending programs. So think specifically about those RD programs, about the lending direct lending programs from the USDA. The agency has just announced this. It came out earlier today, $2.2 billion. He did say they will be contracting with vendors and community groups to administer the payments and they're looking to get this money out the door by the end of 2023. Tom Vilsack came out with a statement along with it and he said, quote, these funds are yet another stepping stone in the long march toward justice and an inclusive equitable USDA. So that is what uh, Secretary Vilsack will be working on. If you've been impacted by a racism at the USDA, get on the website. They are looking to make changes in that and might have some information coming out later this year on how to uh, to get some of that $2.2 billion into your pocket. Also in Washington, we talked with Josh Bateby there about the House Ag Committee earlier this week. Farm Bill Conservation Programs were also on discussion in Capital here, uh, excuse me, in Capitol Hill, and uh, had a bunch of leaders for USDA conservation and forestry programs on Wednesday testifying before the Senate. Ag Committee. And uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow, of course, a Democrat of Michigan, chairman of the committee, chairwoman rather, of the committee. She is retiring at the end of this term, but she stressed the importance of senators moving to, quote, pass the next farm bill with strong bipartisan support. Again and again and again, we hear all folks on the Ag Committee encouraging the passage of a strong farm bill. She does say conservation and forestry has had enough, has had ample support recently. billion dollars in combined funding under the Inflation Reduction Act. And with that, uh, Debbie Stabenow said, quote, we are finally able to address the backlog of farmers who want to be able to use these important conservation tools. Of course, a lot of that IRA funding went towards those oversubscribed USDA programs, hopefully get some more folks into there if they are looking to be uh senator john bozeman of course republican of arkansas he's the ranking member on the senate ag committee side democrats still control the senate which is why debbie stabenow is the chairwoman john bozeman is the ranking member and he came out and he he reiterated the need for working lands conservation it's a claim we hear a lot of times particularly through the livestock industry we've got lands that are great for raising livestock and the livestock are great for conserving those lands. How can we make this work together to keep America strong? Uh, He did point out that uh, programs such as EQIP, the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, and CSP, Conservation Stewardship Program, continue to provide that flexibility to deal with producer, focused concerns. All in all, we have about 80 different farm and and environmental groups coming together from the Food and Agricultural Climate Alliance last week. They also came out with a list of incentives for farmers to adopt cover crops and other climate smart practices, and they proposed potentially doing this through new crop insurance policies and endorsements. Remember, as we are getting into these Farm Bill discussions, they are just getting started these ideas are being brought to the congress folks now and we'll see over the next six months which of these proposals which of these announcements end up sticking and working their way into some kind of final piece of legislation another update here to something josh bakey had mentioned that mexican corn deal it was announced earlier today that the united states will consider quote all options, including a formal trade dispute panel, unless Mexico comes out and addresses the concerns that they have in D.C. over this plan to limit imports of genetically modified corn. Uh, They've threatened this trade dispute several times. As of now, they're looking to form a dispute panel, as Josh mentioned, under the trilateral agreement with Mexico and Canada, formerly NAFTA, now it's the USMCA. And those panelists are starting to be set up. Latest comments came just a few days after Tom Vilsack talked about the, the agreement being utilized to force Mexico to comply. And he said, quote, these concerns are quite serious. Mexico's policies are not based on science. They would cause serious harm to US farmers and Mexican livestock producers and can further stifle the very innovation that we need to respond to climate change and." And food security challenges. We'll continue to watch that issue as it plays out over the remaining months of 2023. But when AOA returns, we're going to dig into the dairy industry with Tanner Emke, lead dairy economist with Kobe. Stay here for more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
4: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. First up, let's take a look at weekly export sales for the weekend at February 23rd. USDA reporting lower export sales of corn, soybeans, and wheat. USDA's export sales totaled 24.5 million bushels of corn, 18.2 million bushels of soybeans, and 11 million bushels for wheat, both old and new crop combined. On the beef and pork side, beef net sales, not a good number, 8,100 metric tons, down 48% from the previous week and down 62% for the prior four week average, with Japan the top buyer net sales, 31,000 metric tons, down 40% though from last week's big number, 21% lower than the prior four-week average. Mexico, the top buyer, no surprise there. Now, overall, these markets, as we take a look at things on Thursday, mixed action, quiet action in the livestock trade while in the grains, we are trying to hold a bit higher, trying to follow through on Wednesday's rally in the market right now being led by wheat, Chicago, KC and spring wheat all up double digits here around 10 to 15 cents higher. While quartered soybeans, corn unchanged up around four or five with soybeans uh, mainly five to nine higher here being led by the front months. A little strength in bean meal and bean oil is a little bit lower. Also, new private estimates out for Brazil's corded soybean crops. StoneX customer surveys out on Thursday morning. They raised their production estimate to 130.61 and 154.66 million metric tons, respectively, for corded soybeans. Drought problems notable in southern Brazil, but yields on the northern belt are impressive. Meantime, Argentina's crops continue to get smaller, and that's something we're going to be watching is how Brazil balances out with Argentina's crop. Outside markets, crude oil's up a little bit, holding around the 78 dollar range with the stock market relatively quiet here as we work through Thursday trade. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting.
6: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to 8 lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues here today, and now we're turning our focus to the dairy industry. Joining us for this next segment is Tanner Emke, lead dairy economist with CoBank. And Tanner, thanks for joining us today.
8: Yeah, great to be here. Good to hear from you, Mike.
0: Well, there's certainly a lot going on, Tanner, and I think of the volatility that has impacted the dairy industry over the past three years. We've seen milk prices go as high as $23, $24, $25 a hundredweight. Now we're back down at 17 Tanner, from a production perspective, how are U.S. dairy makers doing?
8: Well, as you would expect, uh, with milk prices coming down, uh, that has absolutely impacted uh, producer margins. Uh, you got to look at the feed side of the budget uh, on the cost side. Uh, Costs have come down a little bit, but there's, it's still fairly elevated. And so that uh, brings into the question, what is the, uh, the outlook for 2023 in terms of production growth? And it's these pressures of uh, declining milk prices and fairly resilient feed prices that uh, raise the question that are we going to see a retraction uh, in milk production later this year. And I think that's kind of the industry expectation is that at least by the second half or the last half of 2023, we are going to see a retraction in the herd. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, as you would expect, when margins are down, uh, you're going to see calling rates come up a little bit.
0: So Tanner, we haven't seen a contraction in the herd as of yet
8: it hasn't uh really the 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 numbers are there early on that we're that we're gonna see that momentum later on uh we've seen some uh, continual expansion in the the central states especially states like texas and south dakota uh you know those states are are always kind of in that growth category and making up for some of the contraction in other states around the country uh but that being said on the macro picture or pulling out on the thirty thousand foot view We need to take a look at some of these other indicators. Things like uh, cow slaughter was near record high in January. Uh, Heifer retention is still very tight. Um, So you add those dynamics together right now, in addition to what we're seeing with uh, depressed margins. And uh, it's hard to come up with uh, an outlook where we're going to see a situation where farmers would be adding substantially nationwide uh, to the dairy herd, so I think uh, the the ingredients are there uh, for this to be uh, uh, resulting in a uh, retraction of the herd uh, later on in the year.
0: All right. So that's the supply side. Might see domestic supply potentially start to contract as the production number comes down. But the other issue, Tanner, of course, is demand. Uh, we've seen the butter, the cheese, the other milk products really catch fire here throughout COVID. Is that trend still in place?
8: Well, we've got a few things that we got to look at. And just Again, coming back to the 30,000 foot view, we've got uh, here recently we have uh, seen increased production uh, in milk here in the U.S. at the same time over in Europe. I mean, uh, Europe has had a surprising recovery in their milk production and uh, because of the mild winter there. So the, so the Europeans are sending more milk product uh, out onto the export market, and that is pulling down uh, global prices, and that's weighing on American prices at the same time. Uh, now, turning to the discussion, as you mentioned, to the demand side uh a slowing global economy is going to impact
2: demand
8: Now it has been said many times uh dairy is recession resilient or recession proof i'd I'd amend that and say it's more like recession resilient demand continues to grow but it's going to grow at a slower pace because of inflation because of consumers being stressed financially they're going to be more picky about what they uh, eat uh, or what they pull off the uh, shelf at the grocery store. At the same time, they're going to be eating out less. And uh, f- uh, food service is a huge driver of the uh, dairy demand, specifically with butter and cheese. And it's been said many times, it's butter that's kept the, uh, the restaurant industry in business all these years. You put butter on everything, you know, it's going to sell. People like it. People like the taste of fat. Uh, but when you have a consumer that's stressed financially, they're going to be uh, eating more at home. And they're going to start pulling back those, uh, those food dollars and be more conservative with those food dollars. And, it's, and instead of spending those food dollars uh, eating out, uh, they're going to be eating it more at home. Or if, they're not, if they do eat out, they're going to be trading down instead of a, uh, a white linen tablecloth a restaurant, if you will. They're probably going to cherry down to QSR, the quick service restaurants. And that's going to affect the type of cheese demand. Uh, so the cheese demand is going to be there, uh, but it might be a different, lower quality type of cheese, more processed cheese. Uh, people are going to be eating more pizzas, things like that. And so what that what, did that, what does that mean? Again, more of a shift over time to things like mozzarella. So there are going to be impacts uh, that we've seen uh, play out in prior recessions uh, where the consumer is going to be smarter with their food dollars and – Uh, that that is going to be impacting how they spend on dairy products. Now, that being said, when you're looking at the totality of dairy consumption, it's still expected to come up just a touch this year. Uh, A lot of that has to do with population growth, but it also just has to do with dairy being a lower cost alternative uh, to some of the other protein sources out there. It's going to be cheaper than eggs, for instance, uh, or maybe beef. And so, Uh, For that reason, it it remains a staple in the American refrigerator. So demand is expected to come up just a little bit uh, this year in 2023. uh, But uh, given uh, the stress of the American consumer and the risk of uh, recession, uh, that growth is going to be slower than what we've seen in years prior
0: certainly makes sense, given the higher sticker prices we're seeing across the food complex. Tanner, the last time we spoke, I think it was back at the tail end of 2022, we were looking around at the global dairy picture, and there was a lot of optimism. In 2022, dairy exports for American producers. Has that export trend continued as 2023 gets off to a start here?
8: We're coming off some very strong momentum, like you referred to there. With uh, last year's export pace being record high, it was just a phenomenal year of exports, uh, given the challenges, challenges that we had uh, with uh, the strength of the dollar, with some of the supply chain issues. And so the fact that we had a, uh, a record export number last year is quite impressive. And a lot of that is owed to uh, the strength of the Mexican economy. Uh, we sent a lot of product into Mexico. And some other countries around the world, uh, South Korea, Japan—you know—some of those Asian markets have been fairly strong. So the question is, given the uncertainty of the global economy, with rising interest rates and consumers being stressed with inflation, uh, what does that look like for 2023? Well, we're probably going to see uh, a little bit of a slowdown um, in some products uh, as uh, the global consumer pushes back. Uh, but I would say, however, there's some optimism here given uh, the, the production issues that we anticipate to be borne out later this year, especially over in uh, Europe because of their sustainability and environmental regulations and uh, the risk of the, the war in Ukraine uh, persisting over the long term. And that's going to be affecting uh, the European economy and that's going to be affecting uh, their feed costs uh, so there's a lot of impact there that we think is going to be negative for their uh, dairy production and dairy exports that's going to be opening up opportunities for others like the United States uh, and then quickly over uh, in, in New Zealand they've struggled uh, with uh, weather issues uh, it's been very wet uh, we're in that part of the world it's been hard to get hay out of the field or to plant and to do field operations and so that's impacting their feed availability and feed prices. And then at the same time, they also have sustainability initiatives and environmental regulations that are going to be impacting their ability to grow uh, over the long term. Uh, They're going to be focused more on improving uh, productivity than they are in expanding uh, their their cow herds. So with those stressors in in, uh, Europe and New Zealand occurring at the same time, uh, we're looking longer term at some opportunities uh, for the United States to capture more of that export uh, market gro- or export market share uh, over time.
0: All right. That would be great news for America's dairy producers. But of course, Tanner, it is 2023. It's a farm bill year. We've got policy discussions happening domestically. Federal milk marketing orders are in sight. You wrote a great piece on make allowances and uh, how that could be modified this year. Tanner, could you fill us in for those not in the industry? What is this and why does it matter for the dairy producer?
8: Yeah, great question. Uh, federal milk policy is very complicated, and uh, so we had come out with a piece earlier, uh, as you mentioned, about make allowances, and when you talk to the cheese, uh, or not just cheese processors, but all manufacturers out there, uh, the make allowance uh, is the most important part of uh, the formulas for them, and uh, what it means here is that the make allowances, uh, which is uh, which has which have not been updated since about 2008 based on data that goes back to 2006 really uh has not, that they haven't been updated and this is important about uh their the viability of federal orders going forward and if uh the class three and four manufacturers are going to be participating uh in uh, in pooling and so if their margins are not uh if their margins are going to be negatively impacted, we'll put it that way, uh, by pricing policy, then there's that risk of depooling and really the risk of federal orders uh, viability going forward. And so, as you mentioned, uh, we are going to be having hearings on these, uh, these issues going forward, and it's something that the entire industry is going to be affected by. They really need to participate in this series of hearings going forward.
0: Absolutely. Those costs are so much higher than they were in 2008. Got to make sure these federal milk marketing orders make sense for producers. Folks, we've been talking with Tanner Emke, lead dairy economist with CoBank. Tanner, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. We'll talk with Jacob Burks of AgMarket.net when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
3: A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
5: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelloboard booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF-1000 steel-belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the barista bar, and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelloboard booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org joining us now is matt souder he's the director of global agronomy for the mosaic company and matt we've seen a lot of interest in biologicals can you tell us a little bit about how mosaic is looking to be a leader in this category
2: mosaic has uh, long been the leader in balanced crop nutrition and what we look to see is a movement towards advanced crop nutrition where we can improve nutrient use efficiency and other crop dynamics through the use of things like biological products
0: mosaic is releasing two new biological products could you tell us a little bit about them
2: that's correct. Biopath and Powercoat are both live bacillus species bacterial products. Biopath is a water-based liquid formulation that's applied through UAN or liquid fertilizers and PowerCode is actually an oil-based product that's used to impregnate dry fertilizers. So both are significantly tested and proven as products in the field, and they do provide improvements in nutrient use efficiency.
0: Now, the Mosaic Company, of course, is a fertilizer company. Matt, could you talk a little bit about the relationship between fertilizers and biologicals?
2: Well, well, the fact is that, that fertilizers specifically, in any given year, often only have 20 to 60 percent of the fertilizer taken up in that same year and this is this is not specific to a single fertilizer it's across the spectrum so what we're trying to do is use biology and use native species from the soil to actually improve the nutrient use efficiency by improving availability by improving uptake and enabling utilization of those nutrients that were were previously maybe less available.
0: We've seen them out in the market for several years, but there is still some doubt in farm country about their efficacy. Can you talk a little bit about what Mosaic brings to the table and why you're standing behind these biologicals? We have a a
2: sound body of evidence behind it. So our testing program has shown that we have a consistent uh, five and a half bushel response with Biopath in products year to date where we get a response. It also shows that we have a significant improvement in yield from power coat when we apply that through impregnated fertilizer up to six bushels per acre.
0: That's Matt Souter, Director of Global Agronomy at the Mosaic Company. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Before we go for the day, I figured it'd be worth checking in on these commodity markets, especially since at least in the grains, we've got a little bit of green on the screen. Joining us now from the agmarket.net team is Jacob Burks. And Jacob, these soybeans are catching fire today. May back over the $15 mark or get some good news here in the trade.
7: Yeah, this has been, uh, been quite a morning. We uh, saw a, a you know, good size reversal yesterday off of the, the four or five days of, of downward uh, uh, markets. And, and now we, we, we caught a bid two days in a row of having some follow through. And this, is, uh, this has been pretty exciting here, catching, uh, catching some bids from the funds you know, as they went through the end of the month, uh, liquidating some of their positions. We're in, uh, assuming that we're seeing some, uh, some bids, strong bids come back in here this morning again.
0: That is good to hear. Jacob, out in the countryside, what have you heard on basis? Things keeping up out there?
7: uh you know locally here with the uh, the river market starting to to be you know popping their head back up yeah you're starting to see some bids come back in slowly but surely uh you know farmers are obviously uh, unwilling to sell as we saw the the big move after uh, you know going into the end of february uh but yeah you're starting to see some bases pop up a little bit you see uh, uh you know some of this rail business that that we've seen especially on the corn side of things uh you know you know headed west with some corn here which we typically don't see so uh, it's been a strong bid across here Nebraska and look at some of those deficit areas that we saw last year uh, and you did know, anticipate it's a, you know it's encouraging guys to go ahead and get some sales made here. Uh, you know these scares like this do that to farmers every now and then.
0: Absolutely they do. I mean it's a reminder that these markets can move and they can move quickly. Jacob with getting some sales on the books on the old crop corn side, are, are you incited to make some sales in here before this Brazilian
7: crop comes online or do you want to let it ride for a while? I'll, I'll be honest we we've, we've We've backed off, which we, we were pretty aggressive earlier you know with with most of our customers that we work with uh, as getting some sales earlier on, but obviously people have some some gambling bushels that they want here, and I have not encouraged a whole lot uh, of sales uh, as of late. i I think if you look at this market and, and we are in a very tight balance sheet, uh, no matter how you look at it, I don't care what we're going to anticipate planning uh, the The balance sheet is very tight. Uh, I would much rather come in here and use some type of put strategy, some type of downward uh, strategy, and leave our top side open on those last few bushels that you have sitting in the bin. Uh, you know, you can see some major basis change uh, with with the amount of of crop that we're seeing, uh, you know, in, in South America and being pushed back a little bit further. Uh, I think that you you know you, you have the opportunity uh, to see some of those late summer uh, basis opportunities. Maybe not be as explosive as we saw last year in a in a you know in a drought-stricken. Uh, production cycle. But I think you have some really good opportunities to see, to see some explosiveness, especially if you see some type of problem again this year domestically.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's all going to hinge, I suppose, on weather as we get farther into the growing season. But Jacob, in talking to your growers, of course, across the country, do you have a sense on how acreage is going to fall in this upcoming year? Do you have too many guys planning big changes to their rotations or are most of them going to stick to the plan?
7: you know i don't see I don't see major major changes uh, from any type of uh, marketing standpoint. Uh, I think that some of your fringe acres we do have some guys that work at in some of the central north, north Dakotas and some of the Dakota areas that that have a lot of different opportunities to you know, to plant specialty crops you know the problem that we see this year uh, that I see personally is that there's a lot of value in some of these other crops some of these specialty crops. I think the guys that I talked to out in in west and in the in the south uh, you know will Probably see a little bit less cotton going there. I Absolutely. do have some guys that will not be putting cotton in this year, or, or actually uh, already getting corn and beans, or corn in the ground right now as we speak uh, in Texas and in some of the Delta areas. So I think that's where the you're, it's going to be probably to the expense mostly of uh, of the uh, uh, you know cotton market. Uh, but I think right now what we're in, we're, we're seeing on the western side, uh, you know, the Kansas, we're still seeing a lot of. You know, lack of moisture problems in the, the Panhandle, of Texas, some of the Oklahoma areas. I did visit with a customer yesterday that got a really good 10 inch uh, snow across uh, uh, western Kansas there, and you know and he's got you know wheat sprouting right now, so hes he's tickled to death. So there are some uh, replenishments of, of soil moisture that's going on right now that do look promising as far as what we're going to be putting in the ground next year, and we're, you know we're looking at you know the ninety one to ninety one and a half corn uh the the beans are' somewhere around the eighty eight eighty eight and a half so a large corn bean beans structure I think has got to take place or, or we're gonna see some fireworks again.
0: gonna see some fireworks again, you mentioned talking to your your cu- customer there in Kansas. did you have good news on the wheat market when you were talking to him, and we've given back all of the war premium. Jacob can we get another buyer back in this wheat market
7: uh, Unfortunately, it may take some uh some problems uh that we see over there in that uh you know, breadbasket of Europe of, it's it uh, to take place to get some big move. The one thing that I've got hanging my hat on right now and it makes me not want to be aggressive making you know cash sales or future sales, uh, if you look over in the, the Kansas City wheat, is we, we've came down to that level that we've seen support right at around the $8 level. So to me, I don't have a lot of aggressiveness to make sales there. I would lay a protection strategy under it, like I you know, was talking about in the old crop corn and beans. And, and then let's see if we do have a, that, that problem as we go forward. Uh, as you see the, this wheat come out of dormancy and we do start to see, uh, you know, wheat coming up in, in, in a relatively strong manner, uh, I, I don't know that that $8 holds us anymore. I don't know that the, the picture is not very bright right now as far as uh, the pricing structure. So I would definitely be looking at laying some some floors underneath this market. Uh, and then you know, cross your fingers and hope for the best on the way up.
0: How have, how have put prices performed here in the wheat market? Are they still affordable?
7: But yeah, I think that you've seen a, a relatively low volatility market. Whether you look at corn, beans, or wheat, uh, the the problem is we're not talking about five dollar wheat anymore. We're talking about eight, you know eight to ten dollar wheat that we've seen over the last you know couple uh, of trading you know uh, crop years. So uh, as far as what you know what to look at in the put in the put strategy, I mean you're you're seeing low volatility. Uh, you're seeing some some relatively decent uh, put strategies. I mean, for example, a seven eighty put in July right now is trading for thirty two cents. Okay, I have no problem looking at that and then putting a cap over the top side of that. But uh, not to get into detailed strategies, you know, use type of floor strategy gives you a lot of comfort and a lot of opportunity to wait to see if we can go back up to that 9 to 950 level.
0: Getting back to that 9 to 950 level, a lot of producers, no doubt keeping an eye on that line there in the mark. Folks, we have been talking today with Jacob Burks. He's a broker with our friends at agmarket.net. Jacob, thanks for joining us today.
7: Thanks for having me, Mike. There. And
0: for, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk with Corey Rosenbush, CEI of the Fertilizer Institute, about some challenges they're seeing in expanding fertilizer production here in the United States. Tune in then for more AOA. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart
5: paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free, and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney advertising. William Stepacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states.